Colossians chapter 2, we'll be in verses uh, 6 through 17 today, but I am going to read verses 2 through 3, just as a little backdrop. If you don't have a Bible, you can raise your hand. There should be one in the seat back in front of you or somewhere nearby. If you need one, please uh, let them know. Lord, we, we, come up, we come before you this morning. We ask, Lord, that as we approach your word, um, that it would just pierce our hearts. That it would um, revolutionize our lives in that your words are spirit. And they're food for your kids. And so, Lord, let us feast on every word that you've inspired and said to us. And so, Lord, if uh, anything in our hearts would be blocking us from hearing you, Lord, we, uh, we call out now and ask for help. Jesus, we don't want you to be on the outside of the door knocking, coming in. We want you to be in and, and sitting with us. So pierce our hearts with your word. And I pray that however deep we go this morning or however uh, light we go this morning, that it would just be to your glory, we ask. In the name of Jesus, amen. Paul says in Second Corinthians, uh, sorry, Colossians chapter 2, verse 2 through 3, it says, My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart, united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding. In order that, and here's the kicker, they may know the mystery, namely Christ. They may know Jesus. They may know Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and the knowledge. And the thought came to me that Jesus is kind of like this, this mind. And he's got this, there's this vein of gold that he is. And it's inexhaustible. And in that vein are all the treasures and the riches of knowledge. Everything you'll ever need to know about life, eternal life, all these types of things are in Christ. Who is the head of all things, who created all things. All things are for him, by him, through him. And people are seeking to get you to go into different ways to try to find purpose in life and meaning and all this other type of stuff. And I said, it's found in Christ. And the really important thing is that we stay in Christ. We mine in Christ. That we continue to go digging out the riches and the treasures that are found in Christ, who is our foundation and who has everything from there up. And so, in verse 6, Paul says, So then, just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, just as you have received Him as Lord, continue to live your lives in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. The first thing Paul wants to remind them is, this, Hey, just as you had received Christ Jesus as Lord. you know what it means to receive Christ Jesus as Lord? The word receive there means to... Um, well, it's a para something or other. It's one of those para words, para lambo, lambano. That's going to really help you this week. So just enjoy that. <laughs> Say, I'm a I've para lambanoed Christ. But to receive Jesus is to take Christ to yourself. To take Christ to yourself. To receive Jesus is to be joined with him. To take him to yourself, to be joined with him. You become one in purpose, in heart, in meaning. You become one. His one with his purpose, his heart, his meaning, his life. 
This is very important. Paul's going to develop that a little bit in verse 12. But to believe in Christ is to receive him also as Lord. To be submitted to his will, to his rule in your life. Just as he submitted and trusted in the Father, so you trust and submit to the Son. And just as Christ died and rose again, so uh, we too are joined with Christ by faith and we too will be raised to eternal life. And so we receive, we become one with Jesus and he becomes our Lord. Now that's another word, Lord, that it was packed with meaning for those early believers in in Colossae. Because they lived in in a Roman world. And being a part of that pagan Roman world is that uh, as, a, as a Gentile, you would, would quite often worship one God, but you had a lot of gods on the side, right? And so what happened is you'd, have, you'd be out there tilling your field and you put an idol or something like that in your field, and that would be your God over your, you know, over your garden. You go to work and you've got your little statue of whoever on the wall. And you've got your home, you've got another God for all these different situations, right? Many of you have noticed uh, Roman mythology and all that type of stuff. But Caesar, who ruled the Roman Empire, he was cool with that as long as he was supreme master. And that's what that word Lord means. King of kings, Lord of lords. That's what that means. He's good as long as you've got your little gods on the side, as long as he is Lord. And what would happen is he'd come to the Christians because Jesus is Lord. They'd say, hey, Christians, you know, declare that Caesar is Lord. And what would the Christians do? They would testify, no, Jesus is Lord. And by the way, there are no others. He's the only one. He sits supreme above all. And they would die or get thrown into the lions or decapitated, whatever it is, burned at the stake. And so this was very serious. And so Paul was saying, you received him as Lord. That means he is supreme. He's God above all gods. And make no mistake that Jesus does not, does not deal kindly with competitors. There's to be no other Lord in our life. There's no to be other little gods over our life. He is it or he's either Lord of all or Lord of none. And that's the way he is with us. Total, absolute, 100% surrender. So, Is Jesus Lord of your life? Have you received him as Lord? Not little L, capital L, overall. Boy, he's going after that little Lord in your life. Let me tell you, he's fierce. You love money more than him? You can't be his disciple. You love your family more than him? You can't be his disciple. You love your kids more than Jesus? You can't be his disciple. Those are fighting words. Because in him, all these other things will have life. But through them, they're idols. He wants to be Lord. You know, when I first came to the Lord, he would deal with friends. Lord, I'm going to be lonely. Am I your Lord or am I not? Let go of these people. But I'll be lonely. Let go of them. Am I Lord or not? He didn't give me all these promises. He just obeyed me. And I gave him up and look what happened. I have more friends I could shake a stick at. They're not just friends. They're brothers. Sisters. It's beautiful. Let him be Lord. Whatever circumstances in your life. But we receive the gospel. When we receive 
the gospel, we surrender our lives to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. See, not only Jesus saves, but he becomes Lord of our lives. And I think we, we kind of just focus on the salvation and not the Lordship of Jesus. It's a package deal. He doesn't save us so that we now rule our own lives. He saves us and bought us and puts himself in us that we are one with him. And not that our purposes, his purposes become ours. It's that our purposes are gone. They're dead. And now our life is wrapped up in him. And Lord, what do you want me to do? And in that we find life. Jesus says the way is narrow. How narrow is that? I think there are many people who profess to be Christians who say, yeah, oh yeah, I'm saved, but he is not Lord. And many will say in that day, Jesus said, Lord, Lord, did I not? I never knew you. Very interesting. For the Colossians, it was a big deal. Because to mean Jesus was Lord means that Caesar wasn't. It means that their very lives could be at stake. And I believe there's coming a time in our nation more, more so, it's kind of headed that way to where declaring that Jesus is Lord will cost you. It will cost us. And so... That's what it means to receive Christ. He's not only Savior, but He's Lord. And all other gods are forsaken. He now rules your life by His Spirit. And so to receive Christ is, is totally to surrender our lives to His Lordship. And you know, many of us will not surrender the rule of our lives to Jesus Christ. Many of us will not do that. We like church. We like you know, maybe music or hanging out with Christians and the good morality, but we don't want to surrender our hearts to the king. And see, that's what he died to save us from, that pride, that self-rule. Romans 14. Very powerful picture here. But it's to those in this room or whoever hears that will not surrender in this life, God will have you surrender one day. Romans 14, 11, we know it. It says, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me and every tongue will, confess, will acknowledge God. And just to clarify that, Philippians chapter 2, it says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus Christ, who being the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in, in human likeness, and here's the kicker, and being found in the appearance of his man, he humbled himself and became obedient even to death, even the death on the cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. That word Lord is the same word we use for God in the New Testament. In many places. He is Lord. And there's coming a day when every soul ever formed will bow before Jesus Christ and declare him Lord. And so if you've resisted the Son this morning, if you're, if you're churched and you have not surrendered your heart to the Lord, look out. 
Make him Lord today. I beg you to bow your heart in humility and cry out to him and say, you know what? I'm no longer in control of my future, my college, my life, whatever it is. I am yours. You are Lord. And that's a scary thing because you're surrendering your very essence. And that's what he wants, your very essence, your very soul, your dreams, your hopes, and everything. Lay down before him. You say, I no longer live, but now you live. That's what it means to receive Christ. It's not praying just a prayer. But that's how we live as Christians. So, Psalm 2 says, kiss the son, or he will be angry, and, you, and your way will lead to your, to your destruction. For his wrath can flare up in a moment, but blessed are those who take refuge in him. Take refuge in him. You know, I want to have the shiny, happy, uh, you know, loving Jesus too, don't you? You've got to remember, he's not only the lamb that was slain, but he's also the lion of Judah. He came on a donkey the first time, the second time he's coming back on a war horse. Amen? Coming back with a sword. What's he doing? He's going to clean house. And that's our king. And I want to be with him. Amen? And we are. How do we get there? Have mercy upon me. And this is the nature of God. Is that anyone who calls out to the Lord like that says, I surrender. My life is yours. I believe you died on the cross to forgive me of all my sin. And now you are Lord and I am not. Guess what happens? Stand, my son, my daughter. Come with me. And now we're born again. We're born of his kingdom. We become one with him. Everything is his that is ours, Ephesians. All the riches of Christ are now ours. How awesome is that? And we will rule and reign with him forever and ever and ever. Not because of what I've done, but because of what he did. I love that. So receive him as Lord in your life this morning. Confess your sin to him. Turn from your sin. Repentance. That's what that means. Turn away from that stuff. And receive forgiveness and he will give you eternal life. So Paul says, so then just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue your lives in him. That's the foundation. Right? That's the foundation. Receiving Jesus as Lord. Continue your lives in him. Rooted and built up in him. Strengthened in faith as you were taught overflowing with thankfulness. And so the way to receive Christ is through surrender and by faith, right? By grace through faith. And, and, and uh, the way we came to him is the same way we continue in him. Amen? It's the same way we continue in him. It's Lord, your Lord today. Amen? Amen. What do you want? Where are we going? What's my life about? Should I do this? Should I not do that? And we pray and we go and we seek his will. And he leads us by his spirit as his sons and daughters. And so verse 7 says that we're rooted and we're built up in him and strengthened in him as you were taught. And so the picture here is of a plant or a building. You got the foundation, but you have that plant and that building. These, these two pictures he gives. And if they're going to stand, if a plant or a building is going to stand, what must it have beneath it? Roots and a foundation, right? I remember when I was uh, on staff at uh, Calvary Chapel in San Diego and I was very young. I, um, uh, they had, you know, part of being a young pastor is you did, you did everything, right? And so we were out there digging trenches and we were digging footings. And the footings were as tall as I were for this expansion we were doing, you know, because we had four services and couldn't fit people in the room. It was a glorious move of the Lord. But I'm out there digging. I remember it was El Nino year, 1996. 
And uh, just digging, 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 digging. And, uh, you know, just the water keep, the water table was so high, it just kept filling up. And the inspector's coming. How many of you enjoy that feeling? When the inspector's coming, you want to have the foundation right, you know? It's real fun. So we're out there with sponges, and we're kind of, and he just walks up, he's like, yeah, yeah, you're good. But I'm like, this must be really important. This must be really important to focus this much attention on this dirt hole that I'm doing, you know? And Ray knows, I mean, you, you do four foundations all the time. I mean, you've got to get them right. Because everything else is built upon that foundation. You've got to have roots. And our foundation is that we were buried with Christ. We were in the dirt with Him. We were in the ground with Him. That's our foundation. That Christ died for our sins and through faith in Christ we're joined with Him in His death. The old life of sin is, uh, is no longer Lord of our lives. Praise the Lord. Jesus died for our sins, and that is our foundation. And that's what we are rooted in. The old life is dead. It's in the grave. It's gone. Our sins are paid. But Jesus not only paid the price for our sins, we were not only joined with him by faith in his death, but he also, we were also joined with him in his resurrection. He rose again. He rose again. And so many times we just focus on the taking away of the sins, which is, I don't want to minimize it. That's, that's the foundation, right? But God also wants us to have abundant life, amen? Built off that foundation that we are now new creations in Christ Jesus, praise the Lord. And just as a plant springs up out of a seed that is dead, or so gets put into the ground, so do we, as we have been buried with Christ, reckoned dead, the new life now springs up from that reality. Amen? I love that. Three days later, Jesus rose from the grave. So too, we have that new life because our faith is not in a dead man. Our faith is not in a dead man. Our faith is not in Mohammed or Buddha or Confucius or all these other dead people. Our faith is in what? Jesus Christ, who is alive and risen and seated at the right hand of the Father this very moment. Amen. And so we are built up in this new life like a plant springing up from the ground, from the foundation of the gospel, now we're to grow and to bear fruit, being strengthened, Paul said. How do you get strengthened? He said, verse 7, as you were taught. As you were taught. How do you get strengthened? How do you get that building up and being that plant what it's supposed to be? You've got to be taught. You grow by being taught God's word. This is the miracle growth for the Christian. Amen? You want to be strong, you got to feed on spiritual food. And Matthew 7, at the beginning of verse 24, makes this clear for us, where Jesus said, Therefore, whoever hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, who assimilates them, is like a wise man who built his house where? On the rock. And the rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rocks. So Christ and Paul are always using these pictures, foundations and plants. And verse 26 is, but everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. And so two ways of looking at that, but the storms of this life are coming to every single human being. Saved and unsaved, those who hear God's word and put it in their lives, and those who do not. The storms are coming. Amen? And also, after life, judgment is coming. 
The storm of judgment is coming. How's your house going to stand? Are we built upon Christ? Or are we built upon the philosophies of the world? Which are going to be shaken and crushed. And so, what will sustain us? And that's why we spend a majority of our time on Sunday mornings in the Word. That's why we preach, the foolishness of preaching. We spend time, we focus, we try to focus on Bible studies in the middle of the week, getting people together, being in the Word. Why? Because that's your spiritual food. Spiritual food that grows us, the fruit that produces uh, that, that beautiful fruit that the, that the Lord is desiring in His church, that gives glory to God. We exist to bring Him glory, to, rep, to reflect Christ and how we live and what we do and what we say. So, if we chew it and we assimilate it into our lives, we're going to have that abundant life. Jesus is the Word, and His words are spiritual food for us. And so, now sometimes I know, I, I, listen, I can be long-winded and we all like to take a nap and all that type of stuff. I hear you. You know, and it's too long, it's too short. Can you please be, add more entertainment? Just eat your dinner. Just eat your dinner. Eat your vegetables. You need them. Right? Amen? Amen. Eat your food. So I didn't cook the perfect roast beef or whatever it is. for. Let's just, just chew it. Amen? <laughs> Got the equivalent there? I feel the same way, by the way. <laughs> but the way we're strengthened is that we're taught. And we know, ultimately, it's the Holy Spirit teaches it. Listen, church, you don't need Pastor Matt to tell you what to do with your life. I'm not telling you how to spend your money and what to do with all these types of things. You have the Holy Spirit who teaches you. Amen? The Holy Spirit who teaches you. So I want to make that clear. I'm not czar. I am not in between you and the Lord. I am a fellow brother, a fellow sister, helped to come alongside you and to encourage you and equip you in the things of the Lord. And the Holy Spirit uses different gifts within the body to speak to you and to help build you up. And the most prominent one, the one we see in Colossians that, that Paul talks about, the one thing that most edifies the church, I'd say, is being in the Word and, and, and prophecy, hearing from the Lord. Those are the things that really build us up as a church. And so we emphasize that because the Scriptures emphasize that. Now, that all has to go somewhere. In other words, we've got to work that out in our lives, don't we? In other words, if you're just hearing and not doing, we've got a problem. So yes, teach away. It's, it, amen. But we, got, we must hear it and do. Believe. Mix it with faith. And so Jesus commands me and he commands the elders to feed and to tend the flock of God. To feed you spiritual food, the word. And to tend you. And that word means to pastor. And to look out for you in the Lord. To pray for, encourage, exhort, rebuke, correct. And we're going to be held accountable on the day of judgment. We're going to receive the stricter judgment, James says, for those who teach. I don't know what that is, but I also hope we get the stricter reward. <laughs> you know? So Paul desired that they would continue to grow in Christ. The foundation of the gospel being built up in the faith that is being fed and taught and living out Christ's word to us. And notice he says the attitude that it's supposed to be in. What's the attitude? Overflowing with what? 
thankfulness. Not grumbling. Thankfulness. Man, knowing Jesus and growing in Him and, and having Him just in control of my destiny, knowing that whatever plagues my body, whatever hits my family, no matter what, and I don't want it, believe me, I'm not asking for it, but knowing Him, knowing where He sits and that He's in control of everything, that I'm His and He is mine. Man, there's nothing that beats that because I tell you what, His promises are true. How many promises are we getting right now in this political cycle? And I just want to gag because men fall short. Jesus, every time he says it, it happens. From casting out demons when he was on the earth to speaking to the winds and the waves and all that type of stuff, he's in command. And he's got a plan. He's got control. We just need to trust in him. Feast upon what he says. Paul desires that it continue to grow with thankfulness. And so verse 8 See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and every authority. If I could sum that down in a nutshell and then expand it, what basically Paul is saying don't go mining in other mines. Stick to Jesus. He's the top dog. You don't, everything you need is in him. Don't go anywhere else. Continue in him. Just as he was the foundation of your faith, grow up in him and learn and, and feast upon him. You know, And the enemy would seek to take you and I captive again and to lead us away from continuing just to simply love and obey Jesus. You want to have a fruitful life in, in, in the Christian walk? God made it really simple. Love and obey Jesus. You want to have an awesome walk in, in the Lord? Just love and obey Him. Read His word and follow it. Let the Holy Spirit prompt you in those things. And Paul warns us that the enemy seeks to use hollow and deceptive philosophies that depend on human and elemental spiritual forces of this world to do it rather than on Christ. Hollow and deceptive philosophies. Empty and deceptive philosophies, things that, uh, uh, that show you one thing but actually are, mean, have another root behind them. It invades our world, it permeates our world, it permeates the church all the time. The word philosophy comes from two words, phileo, which is brotherly love, and sophia, which is what? Wisdom. The love of wisdom. Real problem back there for the, for the Romans with that Greek culture influence upon them. But philosophy is really the pursuit to explain four things, four questions in life apart from Jesus Christ. And Ravi Zacharias lays them out pretty good. And the four questions are, why am I here? What's right and wrong? What brings me meaning? What happens to me when I die? Those are kind of the four questions. Why am I here? What's right and wrong? What brings me meaning? What happens to me when I die? And philosophy is, is man's wisdom is to seek answers to these questions apart from Christ. That's what it is. Man's ability to answer why we're here apart from Christ. What's right and wrong apart from Christ? What brings me meaning apart from Christ? What happens to me when I die apart from Christ? That's what the world is trying to explain because they've rejected Christ.
And so we see the empty and deceptive philosophies of being propagated by the humanists in our institutions of learning that seek to educate the common sense out of us and to attempt to explain existence apart from God, apart from Christ, in this Western hemisphere at least. And so we evolve from monkeys. Truth is what we make it, and so we no, no longer should address men as men and women as women by personal pronouns. We use whatever bathroom we like. Meaning is found in pleasure. So having as many kids with you like, with whomever you want, nothing wrong with having many kids. What I'm saying is, you know what I'm saying? Spread it around, right? It doesn't make a difference. If you don't want them, kill them. And by the way, spend as much money as you want because there is no tomorrow. We all end. That's the philosophy being propagated in our colleges, in our education system. It's trying to tell us how to live and the meaning of life, not just adding and subtracting and multiplying and dividing. There's a philosophy going on. The philosophy of the world, through the media, through the culture, through all around us, is telling us what? Life apart from Christ. And so our kids, they go away and they spend all this time in these, in these environments and come back. And if you're not a parent on top of that, what's going to happen? They're going to be indoctrinated. And they're going to have a worldview that is Christless. And I'm, not, I'm saying, man, we need Christians in the public education. I'm not throwing a here or there, so don't, don't get that out of me. Be aware of the, of the philosophy that we live in and the world that we live in. And be engaged in counteracting that. Otherwise, the world will take over. And they are. And it's much more powerful because they've got entertainment. And they've got friends behind it. They've got the power of the herd. And we are swimming upstream. This is why it's really important that we are in gear as a church and counterculturing it. Otherwise... We're going to believe we come from monkeys and we're going to start acting like monkeys. And the insanity of it all. I was having a discussion this week with someone who was talking about... Well, I don't want to go into a whole bunch of deal, but the philosophy of Darwin. The philosophy of Darwin that only the strongest survive. Correct? And so, if I believe that, and I do not believe that God exists, I don't believe in a moral code, because who is a lawgiver? You have to have a lawgiver if you have morality. What is the purpose of women? They're for our pleasure, guys. Really? That's the way the world thinks. And yet, they come around and they say, hey, what we really want is we want you to show equality. Well, which one do you want? Do you want the strongest survive, or do you want equality? And Jesus came. He said, the greatest is the least in my kingdom. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Bow down and lay down your life that they might live. Tell me who's the liberator. Jesus. I know it's controversial. 
But there are philosophies hitting us every single day. And God created male and female in his image. And so when I look at my wife, I better realize, man, she is made in the holy, perfect image of God. Amen? And I believe God has different roles for men and women. Obviously, we're physically made different. But they are to be a blessing and honor to the Lord. And to mutually bless one another, lay down our lives for one another. Okay, that's off the page. But there's this love and this drive for wisdom. And the the philosophers of the day were trying to find the purpose of life and meaning apart from Jesus. And so they said that life was found in praying to angels. And life was found found in, in keeping ceremonial laws of the Old Testament. That life was in what you ate or drank or didn't eat or didn't drink. What day you worshiped or you didn't worship as we'll see in verse 20. And so Paul was saying, watch out. This is all the world's philosophy jumping in on you. For in Christ is all the fullness of the deity. He lives bodily in bodily form. Verse 10, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. The fullness isn't in these things, what you eat and don't drink, the day you worship and you don't worship. It's not in those things. It's in a person. It's in the person of Jesus Christ, and you received him. You've been brought together with him, and he is above everything. You are complete. You don't need to be messing with all this other stuff. You're complete in him. All the fullness of God lives in Christ, and you've been brought to fullness because you were joined to him in his death, and you have new life in his resurrection, all through faith in him, where he is seated, and you are seated. You are the one with Christ, who is seated at the right hand of the Father. You are no longer ruled by the things of this world. And Christ is the head of every power and authority. Don't settle for less. Don't settle for less, church. Don't get captivated by the hollow and deceptive philosophies that I've got to pray to saints in order to get to Jesus. No, you go straight to the one man, the God-man, Jesus Christ. Amen? We have straight access. You don't need to go to pastor Matt to get to God. That would be going down. That's horrible. I mean, like, that would ruin things. You go straight to the Lord by grace, to the blood of Jesus. The veil is torn. You can run into the throne room and jump on your father's lap at any time. So God help. Isn't that beautiful? I hope you appropriate it. Don't be deceived by these philosophies. You've been brought into the fullness of Christ. Verse 11. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. So Paul's making the point that your old life, a life ruled by the flesh that is our earthly, sinful, fallen nature, that old life was cut off by Christ. Hallelujah. Amen. And the sign of the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, it was circumcision. Every Jew would be circumcised on the eighth day. And this started with Abraham back in Genesis, right? And so was, it was to be an outward sign of a spiritual reality. Circumcision was an outward sign of a spiritual reality. That's what it was. And for the Jew, sadly, it became 
an outward side with no inward reality. Listen, for the Jew, the sign of a covenant, the sign that you were God's people was supposed to be an outward sign that an inward reality had happened. But guess what happened? It just became the outward sign. There was no inward reality, and that is religion. And that will kill you. It's your fig leaf. They would say that they were the people of God because they had this outward mark, when in reality, what was supposed to represent was a life ruled by God. And Jewish teachers were coming around saying in the days of the Colossians, hey, it's nice you Gentiles believe in Jesus. That's really cool. I love that about you guys. Great. You believe in the Messiah. Now get circumcised. And these teachers had no clue what it meant to receive Jesus as Lord. They had no clue what Christ did. Something spiritual happens when we receive Jesus, church. Something spiritual happens. Something inward happens. Our old life gets cut away. Isn't that cool? Our whole life gets cut away. It dies. And now we no longer live according to the flesh, the old life. But by faith, now we live by the Spirit. That's how we live. The Spirit of Christ now in us. The hope of glory. And Paul says you can't do that with human hands. You can't cut away the old life with human hands. Christ does that in our hearts. He does it. He cuts it away. And so when we believed in Christ's death for our sins, we died with him. We reckoned ourselves dead, so to speak, by faith. In Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but who now lives in me? The Christ now lives in me. The life I live now by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The new life is outward. It is Christ in us. Uh, the new life is not outward, sorry. It is Christ in us. We're, being bo- we're born again. So Paul says, Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith, and the working of God who raised him from the dead, we're on the home stretch here. So just as circumcision was a sign of the old covenant that was an outward symbol, an outward reality, it seems that the sign of the new covenant is baptism. Now, really quickly, how many of you have been baptized? How many of you have been circumcised by Christ? The life of the old flesh is cut away. You see what I'm saying? We can look to that outward symbol, but there can be no inward reality. Do you see, do you see what I'm saying? And it's very interesting. So we have a baptism coming up in the next few weeks. And I would encourage you, Jesus said, be baptized. What's he talking about there? Do you want a new inward reality? Jesus said, John baptizes you with water. Or someone said, John said, I baptize you with water. But there's one coming, he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. That's the baptism we need. The Holy Spirit with fire. What does that mean? Jesus just burns up the old life. And he ignites the new. He consumes you. Are you consumed by Jesus Christ? Do you have that new life? Do you have that joy? That peace, that patience, the gentleness, the kindness, the self-control growing in within you? Or is the old person still ruling for some reason? If so, Paul says to reckon that old man dead by faith. 
I'm sorry, you no longer live. Now Christ lives in me. Have a nice day. Don't even have a nice day. I'm trying to be Christian with myself. <laughs> you see, baptism does not save. The physical act, just like circumcision, it never saved. But the reality that baptism represents saves. Jesus cutting off your old life, you being buried with him, so that when you go down into that water, what's happening? You're reckoning, you're identifying with Jesus Christ and saying that old life is no longer ruling. But when you come up, you say, and now just as Jesus rose from the dead, I have new life. Jesus now lives within me. And that's what baptism is about. It's a public declaration, an outward sign of an inward reality. My ring is an outward declaration that I am Christine. Something happened in our hearts, you know, years ago. And that will never be broken by life. It'll only be broken by death. Something happened, and I wear an outward symbol for an inward reality. Guess what? I'm still married. Amen? Just as married, with or without. I hope that sinks through. So if you haven't been baptized, I would encourage you to talk with me. Don't worry, I won't go crazy theology on you. I just want to bring you to Jesus, you know, and just get into these deep things that the Lord would just want to have your whole life. But having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith, you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And when you were dead, last five minutes here, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your, your flesh, that's what uncircumcision rep represents. You're just dead in your flesh. God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all your sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, kneeling to the, to the cross. How many of you have experienced the weight of just like monetary debt, just being in debt, you know? And, and would, wouldn't it be amazing if someone just came up to you and said, I'm paying it all. You're like, but I just was so stupid with my finances and I just did all this stuff and blah, 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 blah. And you just kind of go down this laundry list and they just say, do you believe me to take that away? And you're like, I'm believing, you know? And he takes it and he nails it to the cross. He, he, we were in debt to the Lord. You don't realize it, but we were totally in debt. When he said, have no other gods, guess what? I have a lot of other gods in the form of money or whatever other types of things it might be. He says, do not lie. I realize I'm a liar. How many lies does it take to make you a liar? Welcome to the club. You know what I'm saying? Do not murder. And we realize, oh, I haven't physically killed someone. But what have you done in your heart towards someone, Jesus says? If you had that... Anger and the hostility towards someone you wanted to, to hate someone it says you're guilty. It's not the physical act of adultery; it's the mental. It's the heart, right? We're all guilty before God. We were in, we were in debt to to Him, and the penalty for breaking His law is death. We were all guilty, and not only death but eternal separation from God. Really serious crimes. But you see, for God so loved the world. This is the other side of it, right? God is just, and God is love. And where did the justice of God meet the love of God? 
and he nailed it there. And I can look back at my life, and I can look at the horrible things I've done. And when the enemy tries to bring them up again, guess what I remind him of? I'm sorry, Jesus took that and he nailed it with him. Because either he did or he didn't, folks. Either he's Lord of all or Lord is not. Either his blood cleanses you from all unrighteousness or it doesn't, he's a liar. What's your sin, church? You've got a God who's above all. And he sent his son in great love to pay for you. And that is our message to the world. That is our message to the world. They, yes, truth. We're in, in, in legal indebtedness to God. Yes, but Jesus saves. I love that. Jesus paid the ransom for us. He disarmed the powers. Look what it says there. And having disarmed the powers and the authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them at the cross. What happened at the cross? The enemy thought he was winning. I got him. I killed him. Yeah, the son of God is dead. We look at all the, the genocide and the weird things that happened earlier, in, in all the babies that were slaughtered and stuff, trying to seek to eradicate the line of the Messiah, Old Testament. They're all, he was, the enemy was behind the scenes going after the Lord. I'm convinced of it. But what happened? In Jesus' greatest moment, where he laid down his life willingly to the Father, the enemy thought he got him, and what happened? He actually just lost because what Jesus just did is he paid humanity's debt to God. When Adam sinned in the garden, he forfeited the earth. And in Revelation, Jesus comes back to take the title deed of the earth. And the reason why he can do that is because he owns it now. He paid the debt. And he rose from the dead. He's alive and he's coming back. He's coming back with us. And what are we going to get? We're going to go take over this place again. Yeah. And the philosophies of man are going to go away. And the righteous rule of the king, where love will rule, is going to come. But he's also going to rule with an iron fist. You'll be able to go out, out at night. Unlo keep your doors unlocked without even thinking about it. It's going to be a beautiful time when, when Christ rules. The refusal, therefore, verse 16. Don't let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink. Or regard to religious festivals or a new moon or celebration or a Sabbath day. These are all shadows of the things to come. The reality has whoever is found in Christ. Church, how many of you struggle with what to eat and what not to drink as far as religiously? Can I eat ham? Can I not eat ham? Can I, can I live on a certain, can I go to church on a certain day? Should I not go to church on a certain day? All this type of stuff. I'm just saying, some of us do. We come from a legalistic background or whatever it might be. Next week we'll talk about that stuff. And he says all that stuff was a shadow. I am not talking about you going out and damning a bottle of vodka. That's not what he's talking about. <laughs> Make it clear. Jesus Christ did not set us free to go back into the yoke of bondage. It's now life by the Spirit. So i got to do that because you got to have the disclaimer as a pastor, right? <laughs> Anyways, let's pray. Jesus, you are rich. You are the richest of the rich, Lord, and you... You humbled yourself, although you were equal with God. You went in ahead and humbled yourself as a son. And you put on earthly clothes. And you came and washed our feet and washed our sins away. And then you ascended to your rightful place. And you brought us with you. What grace. Lord, I pray for 
any person this morning who has not surrendered their heart to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and received forgiveness of sin, that they would call out to you now. And it wouldn't just be a prayer, but it would be a life, because that's what you require. A total, absolute, 100% surrender. Help us persevere in you this morning. Reach out to the weightiest of people in here, the person in the room who feels like, oh gosh, I've just, I'm too far. Jesus, there's nothing your blood can't forgive or cleanse. It's only the sin of denying that you're the Christ that you cannot forgive. And so, Lord, would you please just reach into the heart and restore. I pray for the person who's struggling in their mind and in their heart this morning and is anxious that you'd put their eyes on you this morning, that they would know that you are their best friend and you are in high places and you are available for them this moment. So flood your church, Lord, with your presence and your love and your truth. And I pray that as we go into the mission field now, of our families and our work in Washington, wherever we may go, that the presence of Christ would just be seen in and through us as we love one another and as we love you. And we ask this in the name of Jesus, to your glory, Father. Amen.